You're listening to Emmanuel Christian Center's podcast, Welcome Home. The Father's heart is for you and waiting with open arms. Join us today as we jump into a message from our series, There's No Place Like Home. We are addressing the question, what is home? You don't have to click your heels, just step inside. There's a seat for you. So get ready. God is on the move. Well, good morning to all of our locations at Emmanuel. How many love Jesus today? You love him? We give a big happy Mother's Day to Lakeville, Oak River, Maple Grove, Spring Lake Park, and those joining online. So excited about this day. Hopefully you're getting pictures together. Maybe you're going to do lunch. Uh, smile at a few people. In fact, take a moment. Just smile at least three people. One, two, three, go. Give them a big smile right now. There you go. <laughs> today, for today's message, we have the honor of having Jody bring the word today. And if you don't know... Jody is my wife. She's also Pastor Jody. She's ordained as a minister of the gospel. I love her preaching. I always get a little bit jealous that when she preaches, people actually take notes. Uh, I'm like, why don't you do that when I'm speaking? You know, kind of thing. Um, one of the things that I love the most about Jody is she is a true prayer warrior, and she prays over her kids and her, our grandsons, and, and she prays over our church. And, you know, there's nothing like a praying mom who will beat the devil over the head on your behalf, right? Well, let me tell you this. She is praying over you as a church, and I hear it, and I am thankful for it. And then I, this week, I got to hear her praying over the words she's going to preach, and I know that there's a heart behind that that cares for you. Would you give it up for Jody? She brings the word today. Thank you, honey. We take notes when you preach, honey. You're, you do a great job. Well, happy Mother's Day uh, to all those. I've, my mom was in first service, and I gave her a happy Mother's Day shout-out. My mother-in-law's in this service as well. And then I've got a couple daughter-in-laws who are new to being a mom. Camry, this is her second Mother's Day. And then Kaylin, it's her first Mother's Day, so I want to give them a quick shout-out. Uh, Mother's Day can bring up so many mixed emotions for people. There are actually ladies who will skip church on Mother's Day because it's so painful. And uh, so some are like struggling with infertility or wish they were a mom. Others here though, Mother's Day is a big deal. This could be your first Mother's Day. Maybe you're pregnant and expecting your first child. And so we want to celebrate everybody, no matter where you're at in life, whether you're grieving loss of a child, loss of a mother, or wishing you were a mom, or you're celebrating being a mom. We just love and want to celebrate you. So happy Mother's Day to everyone here in this place. Now, the Lord laid a message on my heart a little while ago called Crowded. And so I'm going to uh, just partner with the Lord and bring what I feel like he's saying. But let's just take a moment to pray. Lord, I just thank you, God, for what you're doing. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in this place. God, and I thank you that you came to this earth to um, just free us from religion, but really let us have an impactful relationship with you. So I pray today, God, that whatever obstacles are in the way of people experiencing you, God, that you would just highlight it to them, Lord, and that they would really encounter you in a new and a fresh way in their lives and in their family. Lord, I ask that I would decrease, Lord, and that you would increase. Have your way in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. 
Amen. Well, I love crowds. So the title of the message is Crowded, but I don't always love crowds, but you know, mostly. I love it when I come to church and there's people here. Uh, I love it when we uh, go to the state fair. So that's like Minnesota, the best get together, the best gathering is the Minnesota State Fair. And there's a picture of the state fair last year, and I grabbed it from an article talking about how the crowds were low last year. So if you are new to Minnesota or you've never gone to the state fair, put it in your calendar this year. You got to go. It's at the end of the summer. It's so fun. And then when we get there, Nate's always like, Jody, why do we do this? And I'm like, do you see all these people? Like, this is fun. Like, that's the point. Like, all those crowds, like, that is so much fun. He's like, we're paying this money and eating greasy food. And I'm like, oh, you know, I'm not one of those state fair goers that have to go four days in a row. Like, I know people who have budget to go to the state fair. I'm not that girl. But I do have a little bit of FOMO, fear of missing out, and I've got to at least go and get the Martha sweet cookies, I've got to go see the big pig, and I've got to get saltwater taffy. And so after I've covered those things, then we can go. (laughs) So, so, you know, we get, Nate's warming up to that state fair. So uh, during the pandemic, there was no organized crowds allowed. And uh, it really impacted how we felt. So you come to church and pastors are preaching to cameras, or when we had the ceiling of 250 people only in a room, it just really kind of felt anticlimactic. There were sports events where they were not allowed um, to have people in the room. And so the newscasters actually put digital people in the audience and uh, to make it look like there was people there. And they had crowd noise just to make it more interesting for those of us who are watching. So right after the state fair, we went to, last year, we went to the Michigan Wolverines game. And it's a football game. My husband loves the Wolverines, and he's indoctrinated every one of my boys and now the grandkids and the daughter-in-laws in Michigan. So we had to take our trip. So this was the first time that there was a sporting event. It was the first weekend that crowds could be back. And when we went, we were like, is there going to be anybody there? Is there not going to be there? And there was 110,000 people in that place. And so uh, they were not quite ready for the crowds. Uh, It was like thirsty, and those guys went out and got some water and came back, and then they had ice cream. I'm like, there's ice cream out there? And and I'm like, I want to get some ice cream. Do you want to get some ice cream? Well, then there's the plague going. Now, I don't care about Michigan as much as them, so I'm like, I'll go get the ice cream myself. And so go out in the lobby of the arena, or whatever you call it, and looking for water, looking for ice cream, and the lines were so long. But people didn't really mind because it was like, cool, we got to be here again. And so I waited in line and got the ice cream, but they were out of a spoon. So I was like, oh boy, well, it was still fun. So I remember like all these times and nowadays like crowds are such an important part of our life. Do you know that there's rent-a-crowds? And this is true. You can rent a crowd. Like usually the average pay is like $50. So if you're looking for a gig, you know, you can join rent-a-crowd. And uh, these people are actually paid to support things. And they have to sign a non-disclosure agreement. They're actors. And so they have to act like they're super enthusiastic about the product or the politician just to like get other people involved. So Rent-A-Crowd is a group of people who are hired to make a business, a rally, a protest, or other public event appear to be busy and popular. Uh, Make it look like it's well-supported. So Rent-A-Crowds are sometimes employed at the grand opening of a new business 
or they may be used to support a political candidate so people feel like, well, this person's really uh, popular. So the phenomenon of a rent-a-crowd is best summarized by P.T. Barnum, who once said, nothing draws a crowd like a crowd. But crowds have influence, and that's why there's some countries who don't allow gatherings. They don't want people to talk and influence each other. And uh, crowds, there's all sorts of crowds, even digitally. We've got crowdfunding, social media, news networks, and influencers. People who actually manipulate information, change the algorithms, pay people to say things to sway the crowds, and if they can change your perception of what everybody else thinks, they can shift the culture. When Jesus was on the earth, he did miracles, and his miracles were so amazing that people talked and he drew crowds. Now, these were not rent-a-crowd people. They were actually authentic people who really wanted to experience Jesus. Now, some in the crowd, they were curious. They were just kind of like watching, wanted to see what Jesus would do. Others in the crowd, they were really supportive of Jesus, and they believed that he was the Messiah. Still, some were really negative toward Jesus. They're the religious people, and they wanted him to stop. They were jealous, and they didn't like these crowds gathering around him. So we know that there are good crowds that draw us to Jesus. But what if the crowd becomes an obstacle for us experiencing Jesus? Now, some of you in church this morning may look around and go, there's too many people for me to matter here. Or maybe others, uh, Jesus won't notice me in the crowd. I'm afraid of what others in the crowd might think if I really bring my needs to Jesus. And then you start thinking about the changing opinions of the crowd and people who could laugh. Jesus had a different view of the crowd than people do, than the religious people of his day. In Matthew 9:36, it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. They weren't customers. They weren't inconveniences. He had compassion on them. He saw them as individuals, people who needed help. They needed a leader. So today, we're going to talk about the stories of the healing of Jairus' daughter and the woman with the issue of blood. These stories are recorded in three places in the Bible, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We're primarily going to read the story from Luke. So if you have your Bibles with you today, you can turn to Luke chapter 8. And if you don't, you can follow along on the Emmanuel MN app. So just to give you a little background before we jump in. So Jesus was ministering to a crowd. Or he was, Jesus was ministering, and a demon-possessed man comes to him and wants to be delivered. And so Jesus sets him free. All the demons go into the pigs. The pigs go over the cliff, and the townspeople start freaking out. And so then they start you know, talking, gathering a crowd, and the crowd sent Jesus away. The Bible says they were afraid, and they go, please leave. And so this is where we pick up in Luke 8, verse 40. So now Jesus gets in the boat. And on the other side of the lake, the crowds, were, the crowds welcomed Jesus because they had been waiting for him. Now that's a big difference from where he just came from, people who were asking him to leave versus the crowds that were waiting for him. Then a man named Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. His only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. As Jesus went with them, he was surrounded by the crowd. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. 
Doesn't this sound super uncomfortable? Like, they were there in the crowd, they're waiting on the shore for Jesus. There was probably long lines for the outhouses. Um, it was hot. They needed to charge their cell phone. Their battery was probably almost dead. And they were waiting for Jesus. There was something in them that was expectant for Jesus. So today, I want to share with you three ways to experience the life-changing power of Jesus. Are you ready? The first one, you need to get rid of the comfort zone to find Jesus. You need to get out of your comfort zone to find Jesus. So both Jairus and the woman with the issue of blood had to leave their house to go find Jesus. Now, we can relate to how comfortable our house can be because during the pandemic, many of us had the opportunity to work from home, and it felt so good. And as the pandemic is lifting and employers are asking people to come back, they're like, no, I like working from home. It's so nice to let my dog out on my lunch break and throw some laundry in or, you know, enjoy being home. It's so quiet there. No one's knocking on my office door. Come on, I get so much more done at home. But Jesus, uh, to find Jesus, we might have to leave the comfort of our home. So leaving home is different when you're going picking up something from Target curbside versus going into a crowd. Think of what Jairus was going through. He had to leave a child dying at home. I don't know. What if she died when he was away? Think about the woman with the bleeding issue for 12 years. At the beginning of this story, she was still suffering with that issue. And yet she left the comfort of her home, a trial, to go find Jesus. We need to leave the comfort zone of our reputation. Jairus was a local synagogue leader. He was the one who scheduled the teachers and, and organized the synagogue, and yet the religious people were the ones that were most upset about Jesus. And he had to leave the comfort of his reputation. And the woman with the issue of blood, she was unclean, so she wasn't even supposed to be anywhere. She had been in her house for 12 years. Think about how uncomfortable that would be to finally get out of your house, go find Jesus, and really, you don't want to be noticed. We need to be uncomfortable and be willing to get out of our comfort zones. Some of the ways we can get out of our comfort zones, too, we can humble ourselves, we can go to church, we can repent of our sins, get baptized. Some of us, our next step to get out of our comfort zone might be praying out loud or going to the altar or lifting our hands during worship. There's so many things we can do, but if we want to experience Jesus, we need to get out of our comfort zone and go find him. All right, we're going to continue reading in Luke 8, verse 45. So now the woman touched him, and she got healed. So who touched me? Jesus asked. Everyone denied it. And Peter said, Master, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. But Jesus said, someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out from me. When the woman realized that she could, no, she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and, what, and that she had been immediately healed. Daughter, he said, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. So how to experience the life-changing power of Jesus? To deliberately kindle the fire. Now you're going, where did you get that out of this little reading? So the Greek word for touched is hapto. And it actually means to fasten, especially to set on fire to kindle and light. 
And so Jesus asked, who touched me? Who fastened to me? Who lit a fire? Who touched me with fire? And I think it's really funny that everyone in the crowd denied it. Nope, we didn't come for you like that. Then Peter says, master, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. And the Greek word for pressing is apathlebo. And it's a crowd to press on all sides, to squeeze, to press hard. Think about olives and grapes pressing. So while all these people were surrounding Jesus, she deliberately touched Jesus. What a powerful thing. She deliberately touched Jesus in a way that was igniting. It transferred his miraculous power to her situation. We can be in a crowd and be squeezed together without really experiencing a touch from God. If we want to kindle or rekindle the fire, there's some things in our life that we have to move around to make that happen. Now, when I was a kid, we had a wood fire burn, a wood burning stove in our, our basement, and we kept that thing going all winter and saved some money. And we would cut logs and you know stack wood and stuff. I remember that so well as a kid. But when the fire would get low, we'd have to stoke the fire and put a few more logs on it to keep it going. And so when we're thinking about kindle here or rekindling that fire for God in our hearts, there might be some things we have to move around. We need to prioritize our time with Jesus. She was pursuing cures. Now she's pursuing Jesus. We need to grow our faith by reading the Bible. We need to read the Bible and memorize his promises and put it in his word. Do you know that faith is like a mustard seed? That when we plant it in our heart, it grows. And we can plant the word in our heart. And over time, we keep watering it and grow our faith. It will grow. The Bible says in Romans 10, 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God. Now, if we don't plant God's word in our heart, we can't expect a crop of faith. Like if we're planting tares, we can't expect to harvest wheat. And so if we want to really kindle that fire in our heart, we need to plant the seed of God's word in our heart. If we want to move some things around and stoke the fire, we need to go to a place where we know Jesus is working. And I like to say a church that is alive is worth the drive. Amen? We can kindle the fire in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And as I was meditating on this passage where she touched him and there was fire that was transferred there, the Lord reminded me of Acts 2, 1 through 4. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. So there's a, there's a crowd of people who are all thinking alike. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames of tongues of fire appeared and settled on each one of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. So another way we can really kindle that fire is we can sincerely seek him. Hebrews 11:6. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Now, this woman with the issue of blood, she must have heard enough stories in the crowd that she knew that if she sincerely seeked him, that she would find him. So we're going to continue reading the story about Jairus, uh, Luke 8, verse 49. While he was still speaking to her, so Jesus was still speaking to the woman, a messenger arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. He told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use in troubling the teacher now. But when Jesus heard what had happened, he said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith 
and she will be healed. Jesus didn't accept the messenger's uh, assessment of the, the situation. And Jesus encouraged Jairus, and he actually told him to not be afraid. Now, I don't know about you, but that's sometimes that I have to battle fear. And sometimes I have to battle fear more than infirmity because it can feel scary sometimes. But Jesus went to his house with them. Verse 51, when they arrived at the house, Jesus wouldn't let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, James, and the little girl's father and mother. The house was filled with people weeping and wailing, but he said, stop the weeping. She isn't dead, she's only asleep. But the crowd laughed at him because they all knew she had died. The book of Mark says it this way, Mark 5, verse 40. The crowd laughed at him, but he made them all leave. And he took the girl's father and mother and the three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Now, those people out there crying and weeping and stuff, those were the rent-a-crowd. They actually were paid by the synagogue to come and honor the religious leader to weep and just show how important he was. All these people are showing up and grieving over his daughter. Um, but they were the rent-a-crowd, and they laughed at the situation. Then Jesus took her by the hand and he said in a loud voice. So they're in the room by themselves and I love how Jesus said it in a loud voice because those people who are laughing can hear. Said in a loud voice, my child, get up. And at that moment, her life returned and she immediately stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were overwhelmed, but Jesus insisted that they, they not tell anyone what had happened. How to experience the life-changing power of Jesus, the third thing, is deal with a crowd in your house. The crowd laughed at Jesus' words. Jesus dealt with the crowd before he did the miracle. Jairus and his wife had a choice to make, Jesus or the crowd. Their choice gave their daughter her life back. The pandemic was the best time out for us as parents and people in general. It was a good reset in helping us get our perspective back. Like it was so good to be home and it was just the, the pace of life was so awesome. But guess what? The crowds are back. Crowds are things that wanna influence us and choke out God's word in our hearts and in our lives. And Mark 4.10 says this, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things so no fruit is produced. So what are some of the crowds and the influences we need to put out of our house? Anything that is crowding out God's word or God's presence in our lives or in the lives of our family. Now, here are some of the things that I have worked on to put out of my house and out of my life. And so your list might look a little bit different, but here goes. Crowds of busyness. Crowds of overcrowded schedules, trying to find that time to have a Sabbath rest and put God first, that's, that's a crowd I have to get out of my house. Kids' activities, crowding out church. Now, when my kids were little, we were on a lot of sports teams. I have four sons, and we did baseball for a little bit. We did football. We did basketball. And when my kids were in baseball, I um, had the two older ones, they were probably eight and six maybe, and they were on baseball teams and we were 
going to games in the rain, and that was like 47 games in the rain, and then we had all these practices, and I'm going to their thing, uh, their games, and Nate was traveling at this time. We weren't pastoring at that time, and I'm like, oh, this is so stupid. I'm like, you know, my whole summer is like gone, and they're like, if your kid's really good, then they'll make the the all-star team, and then everybody made the all-star team, so it kind of felt like this marketing thing that just kept you going and going. And I remember talking to my boys, I'm like, don't you just want a regular summer? Like, can we just think about baseball? And like, what about just going to the pool and having fun with people? And so that was one of the things they agreed to it. We put that crowd out of our life. And uh, basketball, we did basketball too. And our kids were on these teams and we had to look at how is this affecting our life? How is it affecting their spiritual life? And so one of the things that we did is when our kids did traveling basketball, and they had Sunday games, uh, we found a church in the area by where they were playing. And so we wanted to set the standard for our kids that, hey, you know, we're not gonna let sports crowd out church. We're gonna crowd out the other way. And so we would bring our kids to church and we got to visit a lot of churches. And I like to say it this way, church being an obstacle for activities instead of activities being an obstacle for church. And so you can find a way to balance that out. And that was one of the things that I worked on getting the crowd out of my house. Social media, there's influencers on social media who are paid to influence. It's like a modern day soap opera if we're not careful. Like we gotta watch those desires that get stirred up. Like my life should be like that and I should have those kind of things. And God, why aren't you moving like like that in me? And so there are people that I've had to unfollow to keep envy out of my heart. And entertainment is one of the things that I've really had to deal with in guarding my heart and getting the crowd out of my life. There are entertainment centers that have an agenda for our hearts and for our minds. And I don't like watching certain shows because like, I know my weaknesses, I know my temptations, and if I don't know them, people can remind me of them. And so I, I really watch the entertainment in my house so I don't feed temptations and things that don't please God. It's like, I don't want to be entertained by other people's sin. And at our house, they kind of tease me, I don't even know how to work the remote control. And it's like, it's just something I, I don't like feeding my, my desires, my evil desires that are away from God. I had to clean that crowd out of my house. And then I like to monitor how much political news I watch and make sure I'm looking at both sides of an issue. If there's political things, using a different search engine to find different results, talking to friends in other cultures and other countries and going, is this really true? And I really try to deal with the crowd and uh, spending less time with godly friends. I've had friends in my life that I could just feel were influencing me away from God. People that I loved really a lot, but they started doing things that were different. And I just like, oh, I gotta watch how much time I spend with you. And just dealing with addictions, addiction runs in my family, so I'm like, okay, I can't let that crowd in my house. So the crowd is all these things that influence us away from the Lord. Dealing with the crowd in your house means you're setting yourself apart for God. Just like God took these the, his disciples and Jairus and the mother of the child, he took them into another room. They separated from the crowd that was jeering them. One thing I want you to realize when you deal with the crowd, be ready to be laughed at. When I was a teenager, I picked up the name religious morale. And I'm like, religious morale? and had to be ridiculed and wanted to set myself apart unto God and really wanted to experience God's touch and his fire in my life. And I'd get asked questions like, why do you go to church so much? 
What do you mean you don't drink? You never heard of that movie, that actor before? That song, you're so weird. You're not going to have sex before you're married? That's not even heard of. You need to know something about the crowds. They jeer, they pressure, they change, and they want you to conform. The Bible has something different to say about that in Romans 12, too. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. When you deal with the crowds in your house, you will experience Jesus in your house. The next generation will be raised from the dead spiritually. There will be no place like home. So you have a choice to make. Who is in your house? Jesus or the crowd? This morning, we talked about the story of a few people pursuing Jesus. The woman who had the issue, she went to Jesus for her need. And Jairus went to Jesus for a need of someone he loved for his family. Who are you in this story, and why are you pursuing Jesus? As a church, we want to experience Jesus. We need to be willing to, put, to get out of our comfort zone, deliberately kindle the fire in our hearts, and deal with the crowd in our house. And as I spoke, I realized that there are some here today, you're in a desperate situation. You have used all your income, maybe. You've chased all the answers. There's no remedy for you. And you are in a desperate situation for yourself. You need a miracle. And we are going to pray for you. And there's others here that you're in a desperate situation for your family. And you need God. You need to bring Jesus back to your house so you can raise the next generation up from the dead. Some of you have spiritual deadness in your house. And you're here today, and you've come to get Jesus so you can bring him home with you but you're gonna to have to deal with the crowds when you get there. And others of you, you're somewhere in the crowd today. You're one of those people that you're in there, Jesus is here somewhere, but you haven't really reached out and touched them. You're just brushing up against them. And the location pastors are gonna give you an opportunity to accept Jesus today. So you can have that fire kindling in your heart and you can really experience him. And as, uh, as I close here, at each of the locations, the worship team is gonna come and they're gonna sing a song over you and we're gonna have you, the words will be up on the screen and you can join if you want. But it's a prayer for Jesus to move in you, in your family and in your life situation. We want the power of God in our lives. As the worship team sings, I want you to take the time to reflect on these questions. How can I get out of my comfort zone to find Jesus? What can I do to ignite the fire in my heart? What crowds do I need to deal with? Then the location pastors will come and they'll close the service. But first, I want to pray for those of you who I described in the first category. If you want to stand with me, we're going to just have a moment of prayer. Then the worship team's going to sing over us and location pastors will close the service. So I want to pray for you who find yourselves or a loved one in a desperate situation. You need God. We're going to pray that God meets you. And for those who have the fire in your heart that you need to move some things around and rekindle the flames, we're going to pray for you as well. And if you have a desperate situation for your family, we want to pray for you. So if those are you, just raise your hands to the Lord. And as I pray, we're going to believe God to work in your life. Lord, 
I just thank you, God, that you are the God who is in control. You are the God of more than enough. And Lord, we come to you earnestly seeking you in our situation, God. When we come to a place of desperation, it's not hopelessness. The desperation, Lord, is our faith, God, knowing that nothing else will work except you. And so I pray, God, that your fire, Lord, would transcend into our lives and into our situations and that we would experience a miracle in our lives, God. The lady with the issue of blood, it was 12 long years and you healed her immediately. I pray, God, that there would be immediate, immediate miracles in this place right now as your fire of your spirit touches people right where they're at. And Lord, for those who are in desperate situations for their family, they've noticed their spiritual death. There's things at their home that are far from you. I pray, God, that the fire of your spirit would touch them right now, God, and they would take you by the hand and bring you home and lead you to their family, that the next generation would be raised up from the dead, God. We just speak against spiritual dryness and spiritual death, and we just call the life the next generation. And I pray, God, that each one of us would do our part to bring you home, God. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We pray that you are encouraged and blessed by today's message. Check out EmmanuelCC.org for faith resources, how to get plugged into the community, or join us live on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. We are so excited to see what God is going to do. The best is yet to come.